0: Hello, and welcome to Celebrate Like a CEO. I am your host, Stefan Whitwell, Austin-based CEO of Whitwell & Company, a nationwide wealth management firm. Every Monday, I bring on some of the brightest and best business owners and CEOs in the country to talk shop, get their insights on how to run a successful business, and importantly, how to succeed without burning out by taking the time to celebrate. Now, let's get to today's show. Today, we have a Kentucky-based CEO joining us by the name of Jane Mossbacker who is the founder and CEO of a fast-growing international firm called To The Market. To the Market is a women-owned, technology-enabled B Corp, providing transparency in the international supply chain, allowing retailers, brands, and corporations to procure goods and quantify both the environmental and social impact of their procurement. Among the CEOs I've interviewed, Jane is one of the most principled CEOs I've met who manages to keep an amazing balance between hard work and drive with self-care and the kindness and patience in the way that she manages her team and company. Hello, Jane, welcome to Celebrate Like a CEO. Thank
1: you, I'm so excited to be here.
0: Uh, It's great great to get a few minutes with you here. I've had a bunch of questions on my mind that I'm looking forward to delving into. Um, but let's start a few years back. Um, uh, we, you know, so we, we've obviously talked a lot about business stuff, but, um, just to kind of put a little bit of a personal spin on it. If I had met you when you were five years old and asked you what you wanted to be when you grow up, how might have you, how would you have answered?
1: I think when I was five, I wanted to be a, um, professional Broadway star. Um I grew up doing musical theater. Um so singing, dancing, acting. Um and was in a professional program in Houston called Theater Under the Stars or Tuts. Um and I really thought I would be in musical theater, but I'm so glad I had that training because it ended up being hugely valuable in public speaking and confidence building and understanding how to carry my body. So It was it was a important and valuable part of my my childhood.
0: It's funny how those um, you know the arts I feel prepare us in very real ways that business classes often don't. I mean, something as simple whether it's musically or storytelling, um, public speaking, like you said. um,
1: I mean the discipline that's required to be excellent at a skill set like singing or tap dancing or um, even your craft of acting. I mean, it requires serious, serious discipline. And I remember doing, even in middle school, doing equity shows where we had 12 to 12 rehearsals. Um, so that was like wow. a great introduction for me. If this is what it looks like to be at the top of your game, this is the work that's required um, that goes into it. And if you want to play... In the big leagues, this is what you're committing to.
0: You know, one of the, uh, so I played violin growing up and Mm -hmm. um, my father was a band director. And one of the most common things that I'm sure you did too all the time is a dress rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think is funny about business is I so very rarely see the level of training Mm -hmm. and dress rehearsals, as it were, for important meetings or important events in the same way that we would for any kind of a recital, right? Yeah,
1: it's that's a great point.
0: That's a great point. And I always kind of wonder why. I mean, because um, I think in business, you know, a lot of people would argue that oh, lots of stake. It's important, yeah. um, but yet when you look at the arts, and like you said, the level of mastery that singing, dancing, mm-hmm. playing a you know playing the violin. Um, I feel I learned more from that now that you mentioned that and shared that than, than I have about preparation in a, you know, in business.
1: Yes. I always think of um, when I was growing up, my parents would always say a quote that um, Secretary James Baker would often say to them, which is the five Ps, proper planning prevents poor performance. And my parents would say that to me over, over and over again um, around it essentially anything we were doing is, is, you know, how have we prepared for whatever we're doing and in, and preparing, we are reducing the likelihood that we will be unhappy with the outcome.
0: I wonder if our parents knew each other. Cause that's something my dad used to say all the time. <laughs> I haven't heard that phrase for so long, but <laughs> it, 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 uh, it brings back lots of memories. So uh, fast forward, you've been building a business that, um, I mean, my gosh, couldn't be couldn't be more moving parts um, and an exciting one. Tell tell us a little bit about the, the company that, that you're building.
1: So I founded to the market um, to the market is focused on powering the ethical and sustainable supply chain. And the way in which we've done that is we have built a software platform that has three focus areas. One is responsible vendor management and compliance. The second is digitized procurement and the Mm -hmm. third is automated impact reporting so what does that all mean it means that we're working with companies to help them source manufacture more ethically more compliantly
0: so um, i mean for all that that you know all the challenges that we have politically on a global basis at least from the data i look at you know we're still very much a, a near seamless global economy. Um, are you seeing? You know, what are you seeing in the international space today? Uh, what you know, what what kind of trends or growth or what um, what jumps out at you today? Uh, that's maybe new this year versus you know five years past.
1: Well, COVID really revealed the risk of being over-indexed in any country for manufacturing um, or sourcing. So we, as a country, were far too indexed in China. And when China shut down for a period of time, it really exposed that vulnerability. And so what we've seen since then is a deep desire to syndicate and diversify where there is interest in moving into more countries, um, having backup facilities if a country either shuts down for some reason or there's an introduction of customs and duties, um, sort of tariff dynamic that makes the country less desirable than it was previously. And so we, as a business, are really partnering with companies to help them diversify, to help them um, find core sourcing outside of China, among other things. Um, but it includes having duplicate, or sometimes sort of triple backups of core factories.
0: I can certainly relate to the the benefit of diversification. And it's interesting in hearing you say that, um, it sounds like if anything, there's more internationalization taking place as a result of people saying, hey, we don't wanna be dependent on just one international country. Mm -hmm. How do we protect ourselves so we're not as dependent on any one country? and I would imagine that's good for your business.
1: It's great, great
0: Barbara. What, what uh, you know, in, in, in being an entrepreneur every day is a new set of challenges. You know, some things that are going really, really well. Other things that are just really tough. Um, what are a couple of things? I mean, your your business has grown at a rapid clip, um, <laughs> despite all the challenges that that uh, one faces in that space. What what's going well? What do you what would you attribute that? that just incredible growth and traction that that you've been seeing the last couple of years too?
1: Well, um, uh, talent, time, execution. So talent is bringing together a team um, of people with unique skill sets that are complementary to one another. So we, for example, have teammates that are expert in technology. Others that are expert in retail, others that are expert in um, sort of vetting, supply chain, sourcing, et cetera. Um, others that are expert in sort of impact metrics and having really capable people at the table is hugely helpful. So I have a wonderful, wonderful team um, for which I'm hugely grateful. Um, second would be time. Oh, jump in.
0: No, no, no. I. I... I was smiling about the word time because I that, uh, we all want more of it. So I was oh, curious to hear what you are going to share.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, a couple of things on time. One is work ethic and the other is patience. And so on the patience side, I really spent time bootstrapping the business before I raised our pre-seed. Um, and the intent oh. of me bootstrapping was to de-risk. I wanted to understand, first of all, what was the business model I was selling to investors And then second, how could I spend time? um, You know, we're essentially a dual-sided marketplace. We have suppliers on one end and we have clients on the other end. And so I wanted to spend time with both parties to understand what were your barriers to doing what we wanted them to do, i.e., if you were a supplier, what was your barrier to selling into the U.S. market if you were an ethical, sustainable, compliant supplier? What kept you Mm. from being, you know, the top choice of somebody like a Walmart? On the flip side, I spent time talking to potential clients and saying, like, you, I would imagine you'd want to de-risk your supply chain. Help me understand what makes it hard for you to do that. And so I was patient with myself as it related to when I launched, when I raised to try to de-risk as much as possible. Um, and then... Uh, after that, it's a function of then what's your commitment to what you've done? So now that I've gone out and I've, I've you know raised however many rounds, I think it's been four so far, of capital, what is the commitment that I'm doing to shepherd that capital? And to me, that's a function of work ethic, not only for myself, but bringing together people who have an exceptionally strong work ethic, um, who take very seriously the mandate of shepherding um, investor capital.
0: So that would be the timepiece. No, that's that's. Uh, I really like the different components that you you focused on there. And one that jumps out at me is patience. And I want to ask you about that a little bit more. What you know, when I talk with other owners and CEOs, um, there's often impatience, right? There's a sense of urgency and drive, and 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 sometimes you need that to just break through barriers and overcome challenges and just find the perseverance um on the other hand um great businesses aren't built in a day and you do need to have that patience but i rarely hear um i very rarely hear CEOs uh share that they've been able to harness that i mean i think they all secretly would wish they were more patient but there's just this constant deluge of pressure from different stakeholders how do you manage to find that patience amidst the storm if you will good storm but still a storm um, of, of building a business and, um, what, you know, how do you maintain and protect that, that, that mental patience, um, amidst being pulled in different directions as so many, so many of us are.
1: Well, no seamless methodology. I think, um, prioritization is critical. And so understanding mm. what is urgent, what's imp- important, and what's urgent and important. So what's urgent and important is what is sort of top of the prioritization list. Um, other things are urgent, i.e. you want to do them in um, in short order, um, otherwise the opportunity leaves you. Others are hyper important, but there isn't necessarily the same level of urgency to have it done um, immediately. And so I think I tried to instill um, in the team the lens around look at urgent and look at important. And at certain times, certain things are more important. So for example, if you and I had talked at the end of a quarter, you know, we just wrapped Q2. If we, if you and I had talked that week, the mandate I had to my team was what we're focused on this week is things that are urgent, things that are urgent are closing, you know, closing as many sales as possible, Um, you know, getting certain projects over the goal line uh, within the quarter that we can report on investors um, progress. And so, it's it's not the best time to you know jump into a longer term project when you're here at the end of a quarter, as an example. So, um, that's the lens that we try to take. Um, yeah. But patience and and urgency seem like they're sort of dichotomy, but I think there's a lot more um, overlap there mm. than maybe people realize, um, because patience is also can also be a a business superpower if you know how to manage it and and utilize it well. It's sort of like hard now, easy later, easy now, hard later. There are times when it makes sense um, for it to be hard now where you want to be out in the market, you want to be selling, you want to be raising, um, but you realize that you're likely going to set yourself up for heartache in the future, i.e., you know, easy now, but it becomes hard later versus hard now. I know this product is so critical that I'm going to keep spending time on it or I'm going to spend more time on it before I go out to market or I'm going to keep working that deck or I'm going to keep working that script until I go to market. And it's going to be frustrating because I want to be out there, but I'm going to do the work because it's going to be easy for me, easier for me once I actually take that out to the market for feedback.
0: I'm smiling because I think one of the questions I wanted to ask is what do you see your personal superpowers as being given that so many CEOs wear multiple, multiple hats? And I think you answered that. I mean, I think uh, really being able to prioritize and strategically leverage patients. Um, and I have, I, I'll i admit, I've always thought I, I, my first reaction would have been like, hey, those just feel like two opposite things. But listening to you describe that, uh, hey, if you're really good at prioritizing the most important things, that does should allow you to feel a little more relaxed and patient about not stressing over all the other things on the list because they're they're not as important at this very second. Um, so for everybody listening, I think that's a key takeaway. Um, you know, in the next week or two, think about as you're going through your day. If you ever feel like you're being pulled in a lot of different directions, or you're just not feeling as patient as you feel you wish you were. Examine what you're doing and the prioritization of that, and see what comes of that. But I suspect that um, you know, much like you've shared here, Jane, that um, getting clear about your priorities will bring that sense of of calm and and patience um, when you realize that not everything is equally critical. That's hard too. I, I mean, I mean a lot of people who um, you know, type A driven successful who at letting go and saying, yeah, these things can wait till next week, next month, next quarter, uh, it's hard. So oh. I think that's a, a very real superpower and, uh, um, one we can all learn from, uh, the example you set on that. It's, it's a refreshing, it's a refreshing point you make. Cause I, I don't, patience is not something that I think is, um, that we hear a lot talked about in today's culture, right? We're like 200 miles an hour, everyone's busier than ever, you know, attention span of, you know, half a second. Um, We don't hear enough about patience.
1: It is a virtue that people often celebrate in character, but perhaps downplay in professional settings. Um, But, I, I think it has served me tremendously um, to have patience because with patience builds resiliency, and there's nothing more critical, I believe, as an entrepreneur, than resiliency.
0: So I, uh, in that spirit of of um, looking outside of business for other examples, whether it's arts, uh, I just now listening to you talk about patience was thinking about Brazilian jiu jitsu, which is uh, Big passion and hobby of mine. It's my therapy. Um, big way to kind of get released from the craziness of life. And in jujitsu, um, for all that it is a high testosterone, um, pretty intense um, activity, the reality is that the best people in jujitsu are are calm, and they are patient. And, uh, you know, I think one of the you can always tell the difference between somebody new starting it who are just frantic and they get in a bad position and they freak out. And they're just trying to use strength. And inevitably, when they're using trying to use strength, they not only exhaust themselves, but they end up giving something to their opponent that they shouldn't have given. And then that gets taken advantage of to their detriment. Whereas a skilled um martial artists in jujitsu will, will stay relaxed, breathe, Mm -hmm. be patient and stay alert, wait for that opening of opportunity. And the instant that opens, they're on it, but Mm -hmm. but conserving energy and not forcing it, um, being curious, where's that opportunity? Okay. You know, he's got me in this hold. How can I, where's the opening? There's always an opening. Yeah. And, um, so that's just interesting, inspired to think think about how where that applies. Because you're right, in, in kind of the uh, culture of success, uh, I think a lot of value is placed on the hard-charging, uh, you know, kind of intense attributes. But we don't hear enough around the power of that, of patience. But when I think about it in a jujitsu context, that's everything. I mean, that's hugely okay. important. <laughs> um, so fun, very, very fun to, to look at that in a totally different light. Um, you mentioned the word celebration. I want to ask you about that. So, um, you know, it's a journey, right? You don't build a, an amazing business overnight and you've been at it for years. Um, and you know, and you, you went out of your way to mention team teamwork. And, and I know you've been very thoughtful in recruiting and retaining, Uh really some amazing people to, to be on that journey with you. What, what can you share with us, uh, about your own approach to celebration? How do you like to celebrate the little ones on the team? Mm -hmm. Um, how do you like to celebrate the, uh, the bigger ones?
1: Well, it, they're sort of, um, different circumstances, um, depending on you know how the team is involved or not. So some little things I do is um, I often um, have lots and lots of investor meetings as as most folks who have ever fundraised um, have to do. And there's such a high rejection rate um, that it can be a really challenging experience because you, really should go into it, assuming that 98% of the people you speak with are not a fit. So um, in order to sort of celebrate um, when I do these, and you know there are periods of time, like right now, where I may have four or five meetings in a day, I will walk downstairs and get chocolate almonds after my investor meetings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a, lot. a lot
1: of times, this is like, tiny little carrot that i give my brain i mean i'm sure my brain would prefer it to actually literally be a carrot but i give my brain this
0: like tiny... <laughs>
1: hey good job jane like you just went through that and i know that that is you know a, an exhausting process but we're going to reward you and give you you know chocolate almonds so that's an example of something really small that i've created a routine around to sort of celebrate doing those things um when we've had big moments like the first time we had an order over a million dollars um we get on as a team everybody gets on the um all hands we play like jock jams music type of things and then the salesperson who made the order delivers the information and we all sort of celebrate so little ways in which we as a team come together and then as we've gotten you know, one of my favorite memories, um, although it's a very humble memory, um, is uh, you might you might recall that I got this award from Fortune Magazine, and it was such a surprise to me when I got it, and I was really uh, blown away. But you know, I knew it was a really sort of major milestone, a big in yeah, a big deal. But this was um, still when COVID was pretty. Uh, alive. And so there wasn't a lot one could do. So um, I decided this is at the same time that I got this award where Popeye's had just come out with their spicy chicken sandwich. And I'm a very healthy eater. And I was like, Ooh, I'm going to order because again, most things were shut down. I'm going to like Uber eats a spicy chicken sandwich. And that's going to be like part of my celebration is that I'm giving myself this. Um, And so it was delivered. And what I didn't realize is that um, Popeye's lines their um, sort of sandwich wrappers in aluminum foil. So I had the brilliant idea of I'm going to warm this sandwich up and I'm going to then eat my hot and spicy chicken sandwich. So I remember I was like in this apartment by myself. I'm like, yeah, Jane, like this is a big deal. This is a moment. I put it in the microwave and it catches on fire because I didn't realize that the aluminum was in the microwave and so I remember oh no but I remember thinking to myself like this is such a hilariously like just so me way of celebrating something that I would like get a spicy chicken sandwich I'd set it on fire because I'm not skilled in the the world of microwaves and then you know I still ate it but I always laugh about that memory of like thinking um that being like the way in which i celebrated a major milestone is by catching a, a popeye sandwich on fire but
0: now i have so that when memory. you're when your team or your loved ones go hey don't burn the place down uh, as they're leaving to go somewhere with you other people may not realize they really mean that <laughs>
1: oh, i um yeah it's it's not a light a
0: light joke wow that is that (laughs) is great so what uh um i mean part of it may be you know i think having a healthy diet makes a huge difference on energy level um what what do you do to recharge how do you maintain your energy because it it is hard building a business it is hard um being the CEO, you're constantly being challenged in different ways. And sometimes that's fun, but it still can be exhausting. And, you know, fundraising is a great example of that. Um, You just never know who's going to write the check, who doesn't, and you've just got to go through those meetings. And um, I don't care how good you are, how confident you are. It, um, you know, it can be tiring sometimes just getting those. So how do you reach, how do you, how do you like to recharge aside from burning the apartment down?
1: Yeah. Um, well.
0: You can only do that so many times, you know.
1: I know, right? <laughs> For that activity, um, I work at least three, if not four days a week. Um, so I'm I'm pretty disciplined about one day of yoga, one day of Pilates, um, one day of ballet, and then I have sort of like a mixed um, flex day and that's sort of bare minimum on physical activity. Um, so that's really critical. Um, eating healthy and limiting sugar is really important to me. on um, just sort of maintaining um, sort of my blood sugar level. I don't think people realize the extent to which they are creating anxiety for themselves when they are consuming high levels of sugar and so really trying to
0: I'm guilty keep- of that that's I'm working on that this year it's trying hard. to cut back I it is hard I I uh, I laughed extra hard when you shared your chocolate covered almond uh, uh insight because I I just I love chocolate and oh
1: my uh, gosh I love chocolate
0: uh, uh you know it but if you can it's have inside, It can disappear.
1: <laughs> Look, I go through like these cans of dark chocolate almonds um, pretty regularly, but it's dark chocolate, a um, high uh, cacao rate or cocoa rate, depending on how you see it. And, um, you know, it's almonds versus something super sugary underneath. And so um, I don't deprive myself, but I really try to limit sugar just because I find yeah. that, it, and to me, it's less about, sort of weight and it's much more about how I feel. I mean, when I, For health, yeah, yes, I mean, when I have, you know, we celebrated my grandmother's 92nd birthday last week and I had a big piece of cake and I don't regret doing that. I'm very aware of my body than feeling more anxious because I'm aware that I have more sugar than normal in my body, mm-hmm. and it's creating sort of like a, um, an experience an experience that I'm like coming off of something. So trying to limit sugar is helpful. Um, And then sleep. I mean, I am really, really nutty about sleep. I mean, I am, if I don't have sufficient sleep, I will sometimes on Saturday or Sunday, I will sleep in um, really, really late, like with zero regrets, because I just feel so strongly that sleep is healing um it helps reduce inflammation it reduces depression it reduces anxiety it reduces injury i mean there's just so much there that um and you know this is to be clear this is coming from someone who used to pull all-nighters all the time in in high school and college like had no you know no concern doing that um but as i've gotten older i've let's call
0: that wise. let's call that wiser
1: Yes, totally.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> that that was is not not serving me. So those are those are things that recharge. And then I have a spiritual practice that's critical to me. Um so engaging in a, what? a spiritual practice. So like yes. mm-hmm. I, you know, prayer is really critical to me. Um I um powerful. Yes, I have devotions, I have um things that I read, things that I listen to that are constantly reminding me and grounding me of my value doesn't come from my business. Um, it comes from a much greater um, source. And so that is hugely helpful as well.
0: Yeah, I, uh, um, I think the spirit is the same, but I, I've been working on reminding myself to go into meetings or just anything I'm doing with a inner intention, Mm. Not just an external objective, but uh, what is the kind of spiritual mindset that I want to bring to this interaction, or to this meeting, or to this whatever I'm doing? And uh, I just feel it it engages us holistically um, because we are. I I mean, somebody once said, you know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience, and I believe that
1: absolutely. Um,
0: what uh you know I don't, on the health front the other thing I've been experimenting with aside from trying to reduce my love of processed sugar in mm-hmm. all forms but especially mm-hmm. chocolate is um, learning to like making time to um, or or when I get to make choices from a restaurant whatever pick real food mm. not processed food mm-hmm. um, and it's amazing to me how much food out there like we as a culture consume this processed, It's just mm-hmm. no longer in its kind of natural state, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes a big difference for me. I feel like when I eat fresh foods
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and they're non-processed, I definitely feel a different, different energy level.
1: Totally. And drink. I mean, <laughs> meaning like the amount of chemicals you consume, whether it's soda or um, alcohol, I mean, that can really... Transform how your insides feel in a big fat way.
0: Well, jujitsu uh, solves that for me because I, uh, I, I, first of all, I'm such a lightweight, but um, there's nothing less fun than than um, you know a six thirty in the morning workout if you were drinking the night before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In fact, I remember one night I was in Tokyo with some buddies and they're like, oh, come out, let's go drinking. I'm like, man, tomorrow morning, my jiu-jitsu class. Like, who cares? I'm like, tell you what, you come with me tomorrow morning and you show up and I'll be happy to go out and drink. Let's see how that works. (laughs) So uh, that they they went ahead and took that challenge and uh, they came the next morning and they were miserable beyond belief. And uh, they never again were me to drink on a night before okay. <laughs> sober uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was pretty funny so you, no. well uh let, let me ask you another question so you know you talked earlier about execution and in business that's critically important right you have there has to be a sense of accountability and progress and, mm-hmm. and execution um, at the same time uh we often don't have perfect information and know all the answers, right? So there's definitely this element of innovation and experimentation. And you also want to create a culture where your team is willing to try some new things at the risk of failure. Totally. Um, But you have to have accountability, you have to have execution. How do you, what is your approach, your personal approach as CEO to balancing those, those two things? I mean, if you have innovation without accountability, that's obviously no good. If you have just execution, but you don't experiment and don't try, don't innovate, uh, you know, you're you're probably going to leave a lot on the table as well. How do you, how do you handle that? Those kind of two, two different dynamics and under the same roof.
1: I feel like the accountability and innovation thing is sort of a, a better partner where i think elevation uh, execution sort of can underpin both of them so i can mm-hmm. execute effectively on a calculated risk to me execution means am i putting forth my best work given the circumstances meaning if this is an MVP, uh, minimally viable product which is uh, for you know listeners the sort of common way in which you particularly as an early stage startup are wanting to bring whatever you have whether that's a product a service etc to the market you want to have what's called an mvp that you then get feedback on from the market and then you're able to build on and improve that product so having um, an mvp is always a risk but you can execute it as best as you can i.e i'm going to run the experiment the market test the customer outreach that whatever it is in a way that is as best you know operate it as possible to then get feedback for me to then iterate and so i i think execution is like what is your even if it's a total risk what is your working thesis and what is the way in which you are planning to test that do you have a methodology um and it's okay if if you have a methodology and it fails but at least you know what piece of it didn't work if you have a methodology associated with your calculated risk. So I totally encourage our team to um to, you know, take initiative, to know that sometimes the initiative they take is going to be ultimately not the right decision, but we have one of our core values in the business. We have very clear mission, vision values. One of our core core values is positive forward, positive forward Southern accent. Mm.
0: Positive forward. Positive
1: forward. So positive forward means I execute on an MVP. It doesn't work. Meaning let's say customers don't pick up on my offering. Um, It doesn't have the sales success I was hoping for. The positive forward mindset then is, okay, what's the positive that I can extract from this? I.e. what did I learn um, and how can I frame it that way? And what's my go forward plan? What am I doing because of what I learned? And so, every risk and every failure um, and experience that we have, whether it's with a customer, client, investor, it has to be through that positive forward lens for us to say, What did I learn? And then, what am I going to do about
0: what I learned? So, really, uh, as long as you're doing it with intentionality and taking it seriously, um, then, then that's really how you bring those two things together. That you, so you can create accountability even within the context of innovation and experimentation. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I like that. So um, in a, um, as just going back to one thing you shared before, I just want to acknowledge um, I meet so many CEOs that are really not that good at self-care. Mm. And I just want to acknowledge that, um, you know, from what you've shared, yeah, it, to me, it certainly sounds like you you do a really good job at that. Um, and I and I think you I think you have to. I mean, I think CEOs it's their job to recharge, it's their job to make sure they're getting downtime, it's their job to take care of themselves. But truth be told, a lot of CEOs that uh, I've met and talked to, they don't necessarily, they'd be the first to tell you they do a terrible job at that.
1: It's hard. Um but I think if you put it, is, it It is hard. The logic that I try to
0: use is So what's your secret? Yeah, like how do you how do you do that well when so many other people struggle to do that?
1: Think of yourself as like an Olympic athlete because we're we're so much better with the physical than we are with the mental or sort of the unseen physical. So if if you were a, a training Olympic athlete, the idea that you would go out and party, you'd eat poorly, you would not sleep. And then <laughs> at an Olympic level or at a professional level is a joke. Yeah. Like we would never, ever, ever, ever think that you would expect peak performance from that human if that's the way in which they behaved. Well, a CEO needs to think of themselves as a professional athlete. They're just an athlete of a different sort. So thinking about the way in which you need to protect your mind and protect your body for you to be the best version of yourself is really critical. And you can sort of extend that and say, again, let's take a professional sort of pure athlete, like a basketball player. It still wouldn't make sense for them. Let's say they're injured, that they went out and played really hard every day as an injured athlete. Any sort Mm -hmm. of doctor would say, that's a terrible idea. Like you're not getting any better by playing really hard when you're injured or not resting or not doing physical therapy or Mm -hmm. at the game level every single day of practice. There is a routine and ritual that professional athletes follow. That's a cadence. Some days you're doing arms, legs, shooting, if we're staying with basketball, like there is a way in which you are sort of balancing your routine to make sure that when you need to be on, 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 that you are on, on, on to the best of your ability. And executives need to think of themselves the same way. We have to be protecting our body and our mind and our spirit in a way that allows us to be the best version of ourselves and working ourselves. And that's not to say I don't work hard. I mean, I work you know, anywhere between 10 and 12 hours, Monday through Friday, and then a solid, you know, eight to 10 on Saturday. I work very hard. But when it when that when I'm quote off, I'm making sure I'm getting my meaning when it's not that 10 to 12 hours, I'm I'm not, you know, sitting on the couch eating bonbons. I'm making sure I make myself work out. I'm making sure that I'm eating healthy because that is in fact the sort of right thing to do as a shepherd of the business and of the capital.
0: I love that. And I and it's inspiring. I mean, I, I think that everybody um no matter what stage you are in the company, um you know, we can subscribe to that same athlete uh example. Um and you're right. I mean I, I, I look at the uh, I just the other day I was looking at a ranking of health uh among all the top countries in the world and it's shocking how how far down we are and I think it's especially important for CEOs to lead by example and to show everybody um, hey, you can work really hard and you can prioritize and need to prioritize taking care of yourself at the same time. Because I think sometimes people are, are, um, tempted to, 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 into this false choice of it's one or the other, and it doesn't need to be. In fact, right. the best CEOs, the best executives, the best athletes, they do both.
1: Yes. Correct.
0: So, uh, when you do do both i think that there's a lot to celebrate and in fact i you know one of the core values that um i i try to be mindful about uh, in my own life is gratitude um i find that um it's important for me to help stay grounded in balance to bigger goals and things that i want to accomplish that maybe i haven't accomplished yet um cuz i think it's really easy that you know, if you only focus on what you haven't accomplished yet, it, it, it you know, um, I think you're missing out on the joy of, of what you already have and what you can appreciate. And so I, uh, I, I personally get a lot out of stepping back and just kind of regrounding and thinking about who, what can I be grateful for, whether it's small or big. Um, and then also, you know, I think that applies to teams as well. Um, you know, there's always things you want to improve on, you know, I mean, we're all human organizations, so we make mistakes here and there, and those can be frustrating sometimes. Um, but, you know, working really to intentionally not let those dominate your energy, but really focus on the things that you can appreciate and be grateful for. Mm Um, and 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 I think as a culture, we do celebrate. Right? We celebrate birthdays, we have holidays and other things that we celebrate. But, um, you know, I, I I sometimes feel like, well, at least recently in, in our culture today, that seems like we argue about everything. You know, what if we reinvested a little bit of that time and energy we spent arguing into celebrating each other? What would that be like? Mm-hmm. Um, and And I think when we think about celebration, we have, you know, all of us in our own lives can Uh, recall celebrations that um, were meaningful, whether it's a a wedding celebration or an anniversary or, you know, end of year holiday or religious holiday or birthday or um, even an end of life celebration, you know, all sorts of different, deeper celebrations. Um, And, and one of the things that we will often do in context of celebrating is give gifts. Mm. And so I just wanted to, Learn you know, one of the fun things about this podcast is get to learn from from everybody. Um and you have a really unique perspective, and I've been excited to to ask you this, but what uh what would you say is one of the best gifts that you've ever been given? Mm. And what is what would what do you feel is one of the most meaningful gifts that you've ever given?
1: So one of my um favorite gifts that I've ever received. Um, and I'll get into why, cause I'm sure a lot of people may say this was, um, the engagement ring that my husband gave me. Um,
0: mm.
1: and you know, of course it's an important gift because it signifies, you know, that, and a sort of desire to, to get married, um, and that is wildly important in itself. But I think the ring itself was so meaningful to me and actually became a lot more meaningful to me. Um, We've been married um, close to 12 years. So later in our marriage, even though we're both still very young, but um, I didn't realize when Nate and I, my husband's Nate, when Nate and I met, we had a very quick um engagement. We met and we almost eloped, and then um, I told him he needed to wait six months to propose to me. <laughs> so, um, literally six months to the day, um, he proposed to me. Um, but what I didn't know at the time is that um, he, so had-
0: he, he you you both knew like right away, like, hey, okay. this is this is my soulmate, this is yeah. this is this is. She's the one. He's the one.
1: An amazing gift um, in itself. But um, what I didn't know at the time when he gave me the engagement ring is um, he had no money. Um, so he um, he had to go find um, someone who would lend him money. Um, that was like a friend of a friend of his grandfather's um, at like a crazy interest rate. In which I had no idea until, you know, halfway through our marriage. I thought he, you know, had it sort of came from his savings or whatever it was. I didn't realize he he had no money and he had gone out and leveraged some of um, you know, essentially his potential future stock in his business to buy me this ring. Um, which to me made it when I learned that even that much more meaningful because it created, I have to imagine, a tremendous amount of pressure for him to be able to pay it back. Um, And it also meant that it it hurt a lot, meaning, you know, it was a big, big ask to go and get that capital to then go get that ring. But when I talked to him about it, when he finally shared this with me, you know, when I sort of tried to better understand Mm -hmm. why he felt like he needed to get me the ring he got me, he felt like that was the ring that I deserved. And so oh. um, very, 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 very sweet. Um, how they- did,
0: how did I have to ask, how did you learn? like ha, in what context did that conversation come up for the first time, you know, mid marriage? I mean, he he'd oh, not I- mentioned anything about this before. He'd been married. Things are going really great. Uh, how did that unfold? That must've been a magical and just kind of mind blowing conversation for you to learn that.
1: Gosh, I don't even know how it came up. I think we were talking about, Um, and I'm using his words, you know, my husband's totally self-made. And I think he was jokingly, you know, described himself of like, you know, when I met you, I was so broke. Like it was sort of just like a a flippant comment. And I was like, you know, what do you mean? Um, (laughs) We're 25 when we, when we met Um, and he was, he's five years older than I am. So he was call it 29. And so you just, when you're that age, you don't, think the same way you're not like what's your annual salary what's your earning potential and not to say that that's like you know the only thing you're thinking about but as you get older you begin to sort of think about that when you're pairing up with people and at that age i was just like oh um so it didn't he likes me (laughs) (laughs) Great. um so it just didn't occur to me to even say like can you afford this ring like at the time it was just um didn't cross my mind. And so it was sort of something he flippantly told me, I don't know, three or four years ago. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that is really meaningful to me because it's, Mm -hmm. we have had uh, to the market um, even, which is different because it's, you know, even more protected as a business times where we've had promissory notes, like during COVID we raised 2 million and a promissory note, we thankfully paid it all back at the end of 2020, but we were scaling so fast that we needed working capital. So we went out and we did promissory notes and the pressure of having debt is real. You know, it's a real pressure to make sure you can pay it back. And um, it's, you know, not easy to go get. You're sort of also signing, you know, co-signing from a personal standpoint. And so it's, it's a big thing. And so I think about him, this, you know, young 29 year old man with, um, you know, trying to, to sort of make it. Going out and and borrowing all this money to buy this ring because he thought that that's what I deserved and was just uh really uh, really special.
0: So it's you know real skin in the game and it really showed um how how important that was and the fact that he just wasn't going to let anything get in the way. Yes, which is just I mean that's 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 powerful. I think that would make any anybody feel very special. That's yeah, wow, that's cool. And it's even cooler, I think that you found out later, you know, like that yes, uh, 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 that must have been an amazing revelation
1: it was it was a very um,
0: powerful. so the gift to, yeah. you know the gift was not just the ring, but it was really the the context, the spirit, the sacrifice, the that was equally the gift, I would imagine yes,
1: exactly. And like much more, I mean, the ring is beautiful, but the intent and um the heart behind, behind that it, yeah. yeah is that much more
0: meaningful that's awesome I <laughs> love that thank you for sharing that wow now, how are you gonna beat that what what uh what you say
1: uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean gosh I feel like um that one is that one is hard to beat I mean I think one of my favorite gifts that I've given, um, which again, I think pales in, pales in comparison, but um, my mother had um, a sweet dog that was with her um, during a very difficult time in her life and was sort of her buddy during this very difficult time. And um, when the doggy passed, it you know was was really tough. And um, losing I- Losing
0: dogs, but just for the record, losing dogs is- the worst. Any I animal. Mean, I mean, it's, it's just
1: heartbreak for your, your best friend, um, yeah. your best friend and your family member. I mean, it's just it's just so, so, so heartbreaking. But um, I knew that it was really hard. And I found a really talented um, and tasteful pet artist who does watercolor. Mm. Um, mm. and I secretly had a watercolor made of her, her dog Polo
0: yes Um,
1: yeah and then um gifted it to her and i i think it really meant a lot because now um it's it's a beautiful watercolor it's it's small and and just sort of very tastefully done and it sits in my mom's bedroom now and i think it's a reminder that people are always watching over her
0: i'm sure there was uh more than one tear shed uh when she got that I think very so. very special, thoughtful gift. Wow. Well, yeah. You know, the uh, uh, one of the things that I think gives me the confidence that, um, I mean, our, our external circumstances change all the time. And uh, I mean, any CEO would tell you that, but I have an above average amount of confidence that you are going to continue to successfully grow your business um, and be successful. Not just because you understand kind of and are very focused on the kind of external business merits of it, but um, I'm really moved by how uh, centered you are inside and how aware you are of your values and it's kind of in a holistic human sense. And I, I think you're such a great example for men and women alike in that regards because I think it's, it's the heart that moves the world, that moves life, that moves business. And um, it's hard to quantify. You can't see it, it's invisible. It's, it's often inside, um, but it moves mountains. And um, I uh, am very excited to, to stay in touch and to continue to hear updates on, the, um, continued, on your continued success and your team's continued success. And next time I make it out to Kentucky, uh, I'm going to be knocking on your door. And uh, thank you for making time today and sharing your lessons and your wisdom. And remember, if you're listening to this, uh, don't just listen to this and go, oh, that was nice. I want you to take some of these perspectives and lessons and insights that Jane has shared with us and just pick one. Just start with one. Just pick one and say over the next month, I'm going to work on that one and, and maybe take a journal and experiment with it and just kind of see what happens in your life if you adopt that. Um, and that's really the purpose of these is, is to share with each other, you know, and, and learn from the examples of other people. So thank you again for so generously sharing your perspectives and um, look forward to, to more to come. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the celebrate like a CEO podcast. If you are a successful business owner or CEO and want to be a guest on our show, be sure and reach out by sending me an email to Stefan at Whitwell.net and put celebrate in the subject line. We'd love to hear your story. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to share, subscribe, and leave a review. Be sure to tune in every Monday morning for a new episode and remember, Celebration is the key to success without burnout.